Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my conversation with Pete Burns who runs a sports publishing company called Polaris and also manages the Arena Sport imprint. We actually co-published our Pep City title with Polaris last year and I just thought it would be interesting to get Pete's take on how Covid has impacted on the world of publishing. If you're at all interested in the publishing process, whether it's from the writing, editing, publicity and marketing angle or even just as a reader, then I think you'll get a lot from this conversation. Enjoy. So Pete, as part of this podcast, we try and give people a glimpse behind the scenes of the sports publishing world. Before we get into the doom and gloom, I'd like to start with some of the positives from lockdown. From your own perspective, you're a publisher and a writer. In terms of your capacity as a writer, you were actually saying to me the other day that you've actually found this to be quite a productive time. Can you tell us a bit about the new book that you're working on and how lockdown has actually made some people more accessible? You're able to get interviews that you wouldn't have got before. I'm writing a new book about the 1997 British and Irish Lions tour to South Africa with Tom English. This is the second book that we've worked on. We did a book on the 1971 Lions tour to New Zealand and it's basically, we've got a whole series of books that I've published over the last nine years or so, which are oral histories, all interview based as much as we can. We try and get the the people who are involved in, in the stories that we're telling to tell it themselves and we'll do a bit of bridging text and all the rest of it, but the idea is essentially that it's almost like a, like a dinner party or a round table discussion where through the course of maybe doing 50, 60 interviews and we're able to cut, splice together their feedback and their memories and stuff and it, and it makes it like a conversation as you're reading it. Now the problem with this is access and getting hold of guys and it can take a long, long time to put these books together, but it's actually been amazing the great silver lining of COVID-19 and the lockdown is that people are sitting around their homes and they're available. And it's been absolutely phenomenal time to get hold of people. And part of that as well is that we very conscious of writers and journalists and the fact they're being put on furlough or they're struggling for freelance work. I've been wanting to try and support writers who I know really well who are brilliant writers you know maybe struggling a bit for the freelance work and I said right okay why don't we get this kind of army of journalists together and writers and they can go out and do some of the interviews for us and then we can collate it all and you know we'll give some guidance on the kind of stuff we're after and that's been a brilliant project to kind of run from home here on the back of that we're then updating other books that we've previously published did a history of the Lions, like from the first tour to 2013, we're now updating that to cover the 2017 tour, um, hopefully before they go to South Africa next year, if it's going to happen next year. We've done um, a history of Scottish rugby, uh, Irish rugby, English rugby, and we're updating all of these. I'm doing a Ryder Cup book, which I did a few years ago, and updating that. And it's been an amazing time to get hold of guys, and they've all been brilliant with their time. You're getting long, long interviews with people over 
the phone or Zoom or Skype or whatever, and it's it's been it's been that has been a real positive out of this whole thing. Not only are people in the one place, but they also have not much else to do with their time. So actually, maybe creatively, they're in more of a headspace to reflect on some of the experiences um, that they've had in their lives. So do you think it's actually made for a like better quality of interviews as well? I think possibly. I think one of the things is that. <sighs> You're doing it in a very relaxed setting because they're at home, you know, so you always have the kind of, well, as we've done for this program today, a bit of a preamble before you start recording and you kind of get relaxed and into the whole thing. Um, and then, yeah, I think that, I mean, they've been very happy to, there's no time constraints on them that they've got to shoot off and do something else or they've come from a, another commercial engagement and they are in that headspace. Um, it's been really good. It's been relaxed. And what the, the beauty of these books is the more interviews you do, you've got more, you have more memories from other people. So you can say to, say, a, a Jeremy Guscott, oh, Lawrence Delalio said this, Keith Wood said this, what's your memory of it? And so that as you build up and build up and build up, you get this, this chance to have this conversation with them about their memories. And it is, it's a great way, it's a great way to do it. I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting time to look back in the legacy, the creative legacy of this period of lockdown. And I imagine that there's going to be a whole kind of surge of creativity from it. I think there's going to be so many dystopian novels that are being pitched to, to agents after this. But it is interesting because I think all of us find ourselves with, you know, the synapses start kind of flashing in your brain a little bit more when you find yourself with the, this amount of downtime, I guess. I think it's also important on the flip side of that is that some people will really struggle to be creative now. I mean, you get told that you've got all this time and this is the time to be doing projects that you would never normally have the time to do to finally write that novel or write that book or create a podcast or do something like that. But a lot of people will struggle with the kind of sense of being interned inside their own homes. They might, they might be stressed by the whole thing. I've been speaking to a, a colleague of mine in South Africa, a writer, just this morning actually, and we're talking because I'm doing a a South African oral history with him about the Springboks and he's also helping gather interviews for the 97 Lions book from the South African side but he was saying that he's actually really struggled to be creative and he's got a friend who's a novelist who's really been struggling he's had zero creativity he's not been able to write anything I suppose it depends on your situation I know the lockdown in South Africa has been a lot more severe than it has been here I mean they're allowed out only in the last week or so for exercise, which they weren't allowed before, but they're only allowed out between 6 and 9 a.m. in the morning. They can't buy booze, which is, you know, maybe quite a positive thing. But so it really depends on your, your situation. You know, I live in a flat, so we don't have a garden to get out in the nice, when the weather is good, we get that one walk a day or one run a day. But depending where you are, I don't think you need to feel bad if you're listening to this and you're not feeling creative. But at the same time, it is an opportunity if you can if you can get yourself working like that. And publishing timing is so important when you bring projects out and whether the market is ripe and, and ready for the taking. And there's obviously going to be so many publishers that have to kind of completely rip up their list and, and start again. But we'll get on to that in a minute. But I think in terms of our point of view, uh, we obviously co-published a book together last year, which was Pep City. And um, I'm sure listeners to this podcast will have heard the episodes in that with the, with the authors and uh, behind the scenes chat with myself and Neil about it as well. But I mean, I reflect back in that experience, Pete, as being quite 
fortuitous in terms of the timing because we got that book out in October. Uh, if anyone doesn't realise, then you know the pre-Christmas sales period is the biggest sales window in publishing by far. So we were able to work that book really hard on the publicity side in the lead up to Christmas. Sold it a couple of print runs, you know, made our money back, uh, and and you know that book is now going along as what we would call a backlister. You know where it, you know the sales are solid and you know the financial risk is is dissipated if you like, and and you know hopefully we can see the profits from that book now so in that sense we were pretty lucky uh, do you think to, to get that out when we did because if we were publishing now it would be a, a whole world of pain we'd be dealing with it would be it's one of these things so we're looking you know from my point of view looking at my list for the year i think we were looking at 15 20 books this year and that's now been cut to 10 so the entire summer list has been torn up can't publish anything this summer although we're doing one book and I'll, I'll come back to the pep thing in a minute but like we're doing one book which is a kids book in July and it's a kids football book about a 10 year old called Zach who becomes like a YouTube sensation with his football skills now we're publishing it in July and I've been too, like humming and hoeing for ages about whether to push it on with the rest of the list from the summer that I've moved into the autumn or into next year but you're kind of thinking well maybe there's a massive hole there's a vacuum here where no one else is publishing really, we can get the book out, we can maybe get some publicity for it, we get some traction on social media, maybe with other football skills kind of personalities on Twitter and Instagram and all this kind of stuff. And maybe we can tap into that and make some sales. Because if we don't do it then, well, the, 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 the problem also then is, but the risk is that there's no browser experience because no one can go into bookshops and pick up the book. Kids aren't seeing the book on the shelves and picking it up and asking for it to be bought for them or buying it from their pocket money or whatever. But if we don't bring it out then and we decide to do it in September, we're up against every major publishing company in the world bringing out their Christmas list, as you say, biggest time of year to be selling books, bringing out their big hitting fiction books, autobiographies, cooking books, all the rest of it. And our book will just get buried by that because there's only so much publicity space only so much shelf space. So what do you do? I was just going to say, Pete, I guess the gamble is then whether the online retailer sales, so you know, effectively Amazon and Book Depository, will the, the sales from those outlets outweigh the, the numbers that you would do through Waterstones and you know, Gardeners, who are the biggest uh, wholesaler in Britain and they feed a lot of independent bookshops. So obviously all that has disappeared. So really what you're kind of counting on there is, is the online retailing offsetting the losses you would make from the, the um, traditional routes to market. Exactly, yeah. So I think, but I think, you know, like these things are all kind of title dependent because, you know, if we brought out PEP now, if you look at the sports pages every day and I get the athletic daily email and all the rest of it, they're really looking for stories all the time. It's, it's always, it's invariably in the newspaper every day, it's somebody reliving a, you know, Euro 96 game or a rugby match or reliving the ashes or whatever. So there's, if we brought out a brand new book about Pep Guardiola at City now, we'd get the space because it's, an int- it's a huge story. We'd make a lot of sales on Amazon and we would maybe be okay. But that's because of the nature of the, of the book. So yeah, so it's a hard one. I think every, every title you've got to look at it in isolation and then judge whether you could bring it out now um, or whether you wait. But obviously, if you wait, the backlog for everybody is going to be coming out as a flood of books in, in the autumn. I mean, it's interesting because I was looking at the, 
the bookseller yesterday and there's interviews with all these shop owners and I think there's talks about um, phased reopenings of bookshops. Some are going to be the 1st of June. I mean, it obviously depends on, I think, where you are because of devolved matters in Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and all the rest of it. They'll, have, they'll, they'll set the rules on when things open. But generally, there's an idea that, well, certainly in England, that they'll reopen on 1st of June and then 4th of July will be another phase of reopening shops. So some bookshops will be opening by 1st of June. Bring out a new book in June. They stock it. There might be one or two books, but when they come to September and all the new books come out, they're not going to be looking at a book that came out new in June or July. I'd be interested in that. That'll just disappear. It'll all be about the new titles from the big publishers. So I don't know. It's just like a, it's a, it's yeah. an interesting time, and there's a lot of gambling. It's a, you know, it's educated gambling essentially is what you're you're doing. You're looking at the product that you have and whether you think it can survive and come out at certain times of the year. Yeah, I mean, as, a, as an issue for, for all publishers, I think, and we've thought long and hard about releasing books in the lead up to Christmas because we've published books in the lead up to Christmas that have, have not disappeared, but it's very, very hard to um, to make your voice heard in that in that crowded marketplace. And, and I guess, you know, what you're saying is that that's going to be even greater now that there's this huge backlog of books coming out. So is there an opportunity to capitalise on it before then? And and also the other, the other factor to take into consideration is electronic book sales. You know, I was looking at the, the e-book sales for, for Pep City just as a little case study this morning and, and they're double uh, this month than they were, or the last month, which was April, last full month, are double in April than they were in March. So you've obviously got an opportunity for people reading more electronically uh, in this in this period, you know, of lockdown before we go back to some semblance of normality. Mm-hmm. And how? And I've not seen the figures. I don't know if you've got access to the figures, but the uh, audiobook as well, I imagine, is probably doing quite well at the moment as well, comparatively. You know, people got a lot more time on their hands to to consume these products, and whether you're doing it through your your Kindle or whether you're listening to it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to look at and how the market is changing and whether it will carry on having different trends after the lockdown is over. I mean, it's, the ramifications of it are going to last for a very long time, and people's buying habits are going to maybe be affected by it. And it is interesting. The ebook thing is the across all our list, the ebook sales are up, and that's partly because if you you can order books from independent bookshops and you can order obviously from Amazon, but it can take longer than it would normally take uh, to get hold of your print book but if you just want to be sitting on your couch or in your garden when the weather's nice with a new book you get the you get the kindle one planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
That's interesting. Going back to the kids book you were talking about possibly bringing out in the summer, um, do you think you would change the way you approach the launch of that book? You were talking about trying to get some social media traction, maybe influencers on uh, Instagram or, or whatever. Are you going to change your approach to that book given the circumstances? No, that, and that's why I think I we are going to crack on and, and do it in July because that was always going to be the approach. The author, Seth Burkett, is a great writer. He's done a couple of books before, but he's not, we're not, you know, launching it uh, to huge fanfare in, you know, like the Piccadilly Waterstones in London, you know, it's going to be coming out. We would have probably done a launch of some sort, but it would be quite low, low scale. And we would always be relying on the social media aspect to try and push this book so we're still and that's the reason why we're still going ahead because there's not much change in that regard I think you'd want to maybe another kids book that we're doing is with James Hook the former Wales Lions and Ospreys fly half and he's started a new series of kids books and the first of which is coming out was meant to come out this summer and we had this whole idea of a big launch at the Liberty Stadium the Ospreys were going to help back that with publicity and I reckon we'd get some pretty decent publicity but then they were going to go on a he and the his co-author Dave Braley were going to go on a, a tour around schools in Wales to begin with and that was going to be a big big part of our marketing campaign was getting into schools and doing events with James with school kids but because we can't do that we've pushed the book back to October and we'll just have to wait and see whether we can still do that kind of thing but that is a huge part of the publicity for that book is James going out into the school communities and into book, doing book signings and all this kind of stuff. And if he can't do that, then it's going to have a big impact on our estimates for the, the success of that book. That's really interesting. I mean, I think one of the things I always try to emphasise to people is the 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 wafer thin margins in publishing and it's changed so much even over the last decade since we got involved in sports publishing that it's extremely hard to make any kind of reasonable money out of publishing these days and you know you have to run a very stringent financial operation which is obviously what we do and, and you do yourself to, to, to make sure you survive and can continue to produce uh, what you want to bring out into the world but I mean I, I think you've probably got a broader perspective in the publishing scene than I have and I wonder what your take on it is how well Will this change the landscape? Because I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of publishers who were probably, you know, in a battle to survive before this began, and this could easily tip them over the edge. Book publishing is the most horrible business model imaginable. You've got all your costs up front, so you pay your, you pay your, get into your contract with your author, and you pay in advance for on signature of the agreement. This, well, this is how we work it. We get our contract to be split payments over three phases. So you pick a number, say, say £3,000 advance. So we'll pay £1,000 when they sign the uh, contract, £1,000 when they deliver the manuscript, and £1,000 when we publish the book. But then you've got your editorial costs, typesetting, proofreading, any, if, if it's non-fiction and it's got picture section, that's quite expensive to get all the pictures. You've got your cover design. So those are your, and then you've got printing, which is the most expensive part altogether. So you've got all these front-loaded costs. You then get the book out into the warehouse and you've got to pay your sales teams to go and pitch it to all the booksellers book and you've got all your associated publicity costs that you, you might have and then you've got your distribution costs. So then you go to Amazon and they take a 55% to 60% discount of the cover price. So the money comes back in and 
the way we work it with our distributors is that they then, of the money that comes in, they then take 26% of that for distribution and marketing costs, and then we get the money left over. The deal we have, say for a hardback book, the author gets 10% of the cover price. And if it's a paperback book, they get 8% of the cover price. So you're estimating, the reason you pay your advance is you're, you're, you're estimating a certain number of sales. And if it's a hardback book, you're thinking, right, well, we'll sell X number of this book in hardback, which would mean that they would get, if you got 10% of the cover price for that many books, this is the figure that they would have. And you pay that upfront. And if they earn that out, they'd start earning new royalties. So I hope I've kind of explained that vaguely lucidly. So you've got all these upfront costs, but then you also have a thing where a lot of big publishers, like booksellers like Waterstones and W. Smith, and well, they all have it. They have sale or return policy after three months. So they, all these books can go out, but then they come back in again. And if you deal with someone like W. Smith, they sometimes have a two-year returns policy. So you think you've made all these sales and then two years later, you get a whole load of unsold stock back and they don't always look after it very well and quite often it can't be resold. So you've got all these models and everyone pays three to six months later and money kind of drips in at the far end. So it's a, it's a horrible, horrible business model. And then you've got your cost of warehousing. You know, as time goes on and you've got unsold stock there, you're paying for the stock to just sit in a warehouse. So it's a pretty horrible um, business model, as I say. And so a lot of publishers are really right on the breadline of survival pretty much the whole time, just hoping to get one or two books every year that really take off. And a lot of the time, they'll be doing books that do okay. And now and again, you get a shocker where, for whatever reason, it just doesn't sell. But you've still outlaid all these costs. So it's a hard one. And I think a lot of publishers will be really, really struggling right now. And the future's looking pretty bleak for them, to be honest. At the moment, we're in a pretty good position because we've had a good couple of years and we've got quite good cash reserves as a result. And the pet book has obviously helped enormously in the last few months with that. And as a result, you know, if I use freelancers, which I do all the time, we're still cracking on with editorial and all this kind of stuff. Whenever we get an invoice, I make sure I get a pay it that day for all freelancers because I don't want anyone struggling more than they need to right now. And I'm actually trying to generate as much work as I can for people, as I say, with these oral histories going out and trying to hire all these journalists and writers to do as much extra work as I can afford them to do because I just know that this is a tough time and we're in a pretty good place that we can do that right now. But we're not going to be among many people doing that, I don't think. I've always thought it was a business model geared to failure, really. It's not guaranteed failure, but you have to, if you're going to publish stuff these days, you have to publish it as if your life depends on it. And, you know, even with it, for example, with the pet book, myself and, and, and Neil and, and yourself had numerous meetings where we sat down and we thought, right, we need to cover all the bases here. We need to get as many rights deals with foreign publishers as possible. We need to get a serialisation deal. We need to maximize that initial sales curve because the outlay is so huge there's no room for complacency at all in publishing anymore and it will be interesting stroke depressing to see what the legacy of this covid is because it's i think it's going to be a pretty bleak one i think so i mean it is a i think it's a very precarious business to be in anyway as i say but uh i really feel for a lot of people out there because it's going to be the stress of it as well and as i say if you've already outlaid a load of cash in advance of the lockdown you're going to be staring down the barrel a bit because 
how is you know how's it how are you going to recoup that and and keep going i guess we're ending this in a bit of a depressing note but i think to be honest i think like, like everything in life if you are creative enough and you're looking for the right opportunities and you were talking about your approach to the kids book for example and you know we're not saying that will definitely work but it's an interesting approach if you can think your way around things creatively and bring enthusiasm and an ability to it then you've got a chance you know and that's i guess that's what guys like me and you are all about is trying to find those little chinks where we can we can make an impact and then hopefully um, get some momentum you can't just you can't just do it and think it will happen itself you've got to really put a lot of energy into it so you only ever publish books that you absolutely love well certainly you you and i do with with neil and our and our two businesses we we pick books that we absolutely love because then you're going to be impassioned about throwing all your energies into it and it requires a lot of energy and a lot of hours and just being relentless with it because you can't do a bit and just stop and hope it will carry on you've just got to keep going and keep going and keep going and that and but if you can if you can do that and you it's incredibly exciting and incredibly rewarding i mean at the same time the positives about publishing is i still there's nothing better than getting a book from the printer I mean, it's the best thing as an author to see it, but as a publisher, it's almost as great a thrill to see the book that you've worked on and then to track how it's selling in the, in the subsequent weeks and months and years. You obviously, you can get some really crushing disappointments when, for, as I say, for whatever reason, it doesn't work and people don't buy the books. But on the whole, I think across our two companies, we've had far more success than we've had failure. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see the sales of these books out there and seeing people's reviews and one of the great things is you know you get a well in the old days when you used to to get a bus or a tube or somewhere and you see someone reading a book that you've published that is a great great thrill and i think there's if we can see our way through this and if you've got the requisite energy and enthusiasm and obviously you're financially able to keep going then it's still an incredible business to be involved in um, and hugely rewarding maybe not always financially but certainly for the good of your soul it's a wonderful thing to be involved in thanks for listening check out pete on twitter at peter e burns and i've also linked to the polaris website in the show notes if you feel moved to support indie publishing then i've also linked to the buy page for pep city finally i've also linked to our homepage at backpagepress.co.uk which has the mailing list box on it please sign up right now